At Freedom HealthWorks, we're focused on putting medical professionals back in control of their practices. Utilizing a structured, tailored approach to business, startup, and operations, it could make sense for you to work with our professional team to avoid expensive pitfalls and, more importantly, expedite your journey to success. As we all know, time is money. If you're involved in the practice of medicine and desire to practice free of headaches and constraints, reach out for a no-obligation consultative conversation. Call us today at 317-804-1203 or visit freedomhealthworks.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Healthcare Americana. I am your host, Christopher Habig, CEO and co-founder of Freedom HealthWorks. Healthcare Americana is a podcast for the 99% of people who get care in America. We're not clinicians or policymakers. We're patients and caregivers, executives and advocates. We're fed up with the status quo. We have a desire to change it. This podcast brings listeners backstage at innovative organizations with innovative individuals across America that are putting patients first by delivering exceptional care to anyone and everyone. I have the great privilege of being born in the wonderful state of Indiana. And while some people tend to jeer or uh, kind of sniffle at that one and say, well, Indiana, what, what's so special about that? Great question. I'm going to tell you right now. When it comes to innovation, Hoosiers are thinking pragmatically. Now, we will never go out there and build a better Facebook. We're going to leave that to the coasts. What we're going to do is go out and build models and build businesses and build solutions to real world problems. One of those problems today is healthcare. Obviously, you wouldn't be listening to the show if you didn't think that healthcare had some room for improvement and following along in a lot of the action that's happening and innovation that's happening within the direct care world and bringing care back to patients the way the physicians know it can be practiced and experienced and trusting those physicians. Today, we are talking to people within central Indiana who are expanding that hub of innovation in healthcare. So joining me today are two fantastic individuals and two of the I guess, masterminds here, gentlemen, of Wellbridge Surgical, located on the northwest side of Indianapolis. Please welcome Dr. Eric Inman and Dr. Ron Panecki, both co-founders of Wellbridge Circle. Dr. Panecki, Dr. Inman, thank you for joining us here on Healthcare Americana. It is a fantastic pleasure of mine to finally be talking to you and be able to hit that record button once and for all. Yes, thank you, Chris. Very happy to be here. Yep, happy to join you. Now, on that high and mighty introduction, Dr. Inman, what are your thoughts? You know, when, when you talk about healthcare innovation and actually boiling it down and really simplifying it into the interaction between one patient and one physician or a physician's care team, cutting out all the other noise, cutting out the insurance companies, cutting out uh, any type of government entities, all the noise and, and, and kind of waste that goes into that. Is that kind of a, what I'm going to consider a pipe dream to say, oh, Indianapolis and, you know, kind of central Indiana is becoming very quickly a leader in delivering healthcare in innovative ways. Well, well obviously, uh, I think both Dr. Panicki and myself, we really hope so. Um, I, I was born, like, like yourself, I was born here in uh, central Indiana and grew up around here. And I kind of personally, I think a lot, you mentioned trying to create a, a relationship to where there's, there's just minimizing the middleman between the patient and the doctor. So um, me being an anesthesiologist, a physician, um, gone to med school, I think most physicians, when they, when they go to med, medical school, that's what their dream is. That's why they, that's why they do it. And that's what they want to, to do when they start out. And then just going along the path of, of uh, residency and, and practicing for several years, um, I think you, you realize how much more there is there that, uh, that, that is not necessary, that 
obstructs um, care and, and really um, kind of changes the way you look at things. So I really, really hope so. Both my parents were physicians and they had to deal with a lot less of what we have to deal with now. There's been a lot more complicated uh, middlemen that have come into the picture in the last 40 years or so. Um, so well, the way I think about it of what we're doing is, you know, and, and what you're doing, you know, with Freedom HealthWorks, really just creating a more personal relationship and direct relationship between the patient and doctor is really important. It gets back to what, what they were able to do years and years ago, decades ago. As far as innovation goes, uh, specifically around here, I do feel like this is a ripe place for it to happen because I, f- I feel like in the last few decades that Indianapolis has really been behind. And what that does, I think it creates a ripe um, kind of a fertile growing ground for, for things like this. People are getting fed up with it, fed up with, with, what's, with what's going on. And we can, we can take advantage of that. And what we've done with Wellbridge Surgical is people complain about it all the time. Why does surgery cost so much? The short answer is it doesn't need to. And so we just, we, we, what we really want to do is create that innovation and have force a creation of a free, a free market surgical, surgical arena here. Yeah. And that kind of, kind of takes me to the next point there, but I want to, I want to focus on something you said, central Indiana, Indianapolis in general, a lot of different industries coming in here. I mean, Eli Lilly is here. You like to pick on them, but Anthem is headquarters here. So Indianapolis does have a, a deep healthcare history. But we're also making national news for one of our not-for-profit hospital systems getting out there and absolutely fleecing patients and then trying to uh, a, a do a lot of, I guess, PR backflips to try to fix the situation. And people are seeing directly through it. So I would consider you to be correct on a lot of that, what people would consider healthcare innovation, you know, what, bringing technology into it or, or really returning care into the people or just being a healthy population in general. But I do want to call out that there are some villains in this story that are actually fleecing the population statewide. And, and I just don't want to forget that. And I have contacts nationally who are sending me stories on this saying, Hey, are these guys in your backyard? I'm like, gosh, I can't believe it. So I'm going to leave them unnamed. I do want to move into, and, and, and Dr. Panecki, this is you know for you. So give us just that quick background of Wellbridge Surgical, exactly what it is. And, and Dr. M kind of gave us a little preview right there, but you know, what I'm really looking for is, why should listeners should should really care and really get invested in Wellbridge Surgical and not think that this is just kind of a run-of-the-mill surgical experience, just like anything else that they could walk down to the local hospital and experience? Yeah, that's a good question. And and Dr. Emman kind of hit on the, the idea behind it in that we want to be able to demonstrate, compete in a free market environment to show that, hey, if you really put patient interests first, the results are going to speak for themselves. You touched on something that was really interesting a minute ago. You said there's villains. Indiana and Indianapolis, especially, um, the the state itself is laid out in such a way that, you know, you basically have one large city with a satellite number of smaller cities, but you, and then within that one city, that's really your tertiary quaternary referral center for for healthcare. If if you want good care, and this is what patients say, not what I say, if you want good care, you got to come to Indianapolis and come to the big city and go to one of the major hospital systems. And there are, there is good care delivered there. But uh, unfortunately, also what we're seeing is, you know, you have a half dozen large healthcare conglomerate systems that are multi-state, you know, entities, huge, huge companies that basically have kind of price fixed the market. If you artificially inflate the price and um, you kind of hold it there, you know, everyone benefits if you're one of the, the big fish in, in a single large metropolitan area in, inside the state. And so there's not been competition. 
And so what we kind of set out to do after spending about 11, 12 years now in clinical practice uh, was to try to understand that the market, that was a, up to this point, probably about a five-year process of kind of looking at what's going on, understanding what the pressure points were, understanding the cost, the business surrounding the delivery of care, surgical care, at least for us, because that's what we do. And then figuring out, hey, can we do it not only better, but can we do it less expensively and also advance the, the delivery of care? And so we looked at things like, you know, hey, what if we were to build a really nice facility in a nice area that's safe, that people can conveniently get to and make that experience positive? And by positive, I mean, it doesn't smell like formaldehyde and bleach. It doesn't have the buzzing fluorescent lights above it, right? Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't have like just random, you know, wheelchairs strung out in the hallway. There's not 12 inch square grid tile flooring that just kind of give you that whole hospital feel. And, and it's not that that's necessarily in itself a, a bad thing, but no one wants to have surgery, but there's things that can be done to make that experience better for patients. And so we just started from the ground up, literally on the physical design of the facility, all the way through the patient care experience to say, Hey, what if we were to build a really nice place in a nice area, actually prioritize the patient? Because that, again, is what this is about. It's not about what payer source or who makes the most money for us mm-hmm. and set up number that's a reasonable cost that's going to basically translate to 50% or more savings from surgical care across those half dozen hospital entities that I mentioned earlier, and actually deliver a better experience throughout that with the same surgeon and same anesthesiologist that operate at those facilities. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a huge number. You just said 50 to 70% savings on a typical hospital system. And plus, you're, what I heard was you're guaranteeing people that they're not going to be choosing your location for the next, uh, you know, haunted uh, hospital movie that I think you, you painted a very accurate description of, I don't know why I'm thinking like, you know, like creaky lights and kind of people ambling around. Sure. You mentioned wheelchairs everywhere. I'm like, gosh, that's straight out of central casting for <laughs> next <laughs> A plague movie, um, right. speaking in a pandemic, you know, it's all too real, but um, bringing in the patient experience. And that is something we talk about constantly, right? And that's just something that's missing in medicine. So a higher patient experience, a significant savings, what's not to like? What are some of the reservations and, and some of the challenges that you're hearing right now? And, and Dr. Panacki, I'll go back to you just on that vein. Yeah. And that's and a valid question because I'm kind of a cynic at heart. You know, when you, when something on the surface looks too good to be true, nine times out of 10, you know, you often find some, some major issue. And so, so I'm thinking about this as we're starting out this, this, this process and, and design and implementation that we have to kind of alleviate all those concerns um, because patients don't know, they don't really understand healthcare. Most physicians don't understand healthcare until you really dig into it and understand the business of the delivery of care. And so, you know, they don't understand where the numbers are coming from, who's paying what, why the numbers are so high. They know it's a complex thing with very highly technical and skilled individuals who are delivering the, the service. Um, but you kind of have to pull back the, the blinders and, and the curtains and kind of demonstrate to them that like, there's no catch. Literally, there's no catch. The only thing that's going on here is the prices have been artificially inflated to maximize profitability for the, the current systems that are benefiting right now by virtue of their history their time in the market and uh, just the general geographic, you know, constraints of, you know, one major city in the state. And so that's what we wanted to basically demonstrate to folks. So we, we chose to do things that demonstrate, Hey, there's no catch here. Come see our facility. It's actually nicer than most of the other ones. The ORs are bigger. We have technology in the ORs that, that most surgery centers do not have. In fact, some hospitals don't have. 
you know, when it comes to the actual experience in the waiting room, you know, the waiting room's nice. It, it's more like sitting in a Starbucks than it is sitting for jury duty. And so we try to kind of capitalize on that kind of stuff and, and just demonstrate to folks like, Hey, no, there's no catch. Like it just doesn't cost what the current price is for that care delivery. I have seen it. I have toured it. I am a, uh, I can attest to the quality of facility uh, that both you gentlemen are speaking about. So I'm a believer I, with my own two eyes. Uh, if that's you know worth, I guess with inflation these days, I, if that's worth my three and a half cents. But uh, <laughs> Doctor, <laughs> going, yeah, you're catching me on a good day here, guys. It's uh, I got jokes, jokes for days here. Um, <laughs> Doctor Emmett, you mentioned that you're an anesthesiologist, and, and I'm sure a lot of people are saying, well, well, what does an anesthesiologist have to do with creating or helping to create a completely independent, transparently priced? high quality, high user experience surgery center. Aren't these the guys that just kind of operate in the background and don't really talk to anybody and kind of hang out in those cold rooms and watch people sleep all day? What is your story? How did you get to this point? I've worked with a lot of anesthesiologists and you, and you describe uh, some of them to a T with that, with that, <laughs> with that description, but uh, no, we're, we're not all like that. But you know, being, uh, being an anesthesiologist uh, really does give you a a unique perspective. You get to work with really all parts of the, um, the surgery experience, the operating room nurses, the scrub techs, the surgeons, and uh, you know, the preoperative area, the postoperative area, really, really the whole patient experience around, um, around having surgery. It, it kind of gives you a unique perspective to see all that. As an anesthesiologist, um, I think we all feel like the, the patient advocate during the procedure, the patient you know, that's part of the tough part of going under anesthesia. You lose control. I don't, and certainly no anesthesiologist takes that lightly. And so we feel like, you know, we're shepherding that patient through that surgery and through the surgery experience. So it's, it's kind of inherent. I think Dr. Panicki would agree. And uh, not only to say that, but with most ambulatory surgery centers, which is, you know, Wellbird Surgical is outpatient surgery, same day, have a medical director. And those are generally the medical directors and anesthesiologists for, for those same reasons. Mm-hmm. And um, so I guess that, you know, kind of the, the, the reasons behind it also you know, really one of our inspirations for, for doing this was uh, seeing what another anesthesiologist did. Dr. Keith Smith in Oklahoma, Oklahoma mm-hmm. city started the surgery center of Oklahoma, posted their prices in 2009. Um, that was a great, that was a great inspiration for us. And, you know, w- would we have heard about that as, or, and thought about it as, as much if, um, if he, he hadn't been an anesthesiologist himself, I, I don't know, mm-hmm. um, but it seems like a good fit so far. So talk to, talk to us a little bit, got us through your journey. You didn't just wake up someday and decide, I'm going to go start my own surgery center. What was that kind of like aha moment? And then what was your next step? And, you know, I'm really interested in seeing, you know, what your, your colleagues thought about that, what your family thought about that, because, you know, from our side, from our Freedom Health Work side, you know, it, it's a heavy lift for a primary care practice to start. But looking at what I think the investment is from primary care versus what you two went through, I mean, it's kind of, I'm looking at those numbers. I'm like, those numbers have to be just mind boggling. And that's what I'm looking for, kind of the kind of the motivation and really what drove you to do this and what was it like along the way? Yeah, you know, so it started about five years ago. So 2000, 2017, uh, maybe the beginning of 2017, a couple of us got together um, and uh, we, one of us had, had actually heard about uh, Dr. Keith Smith in Oklahoma City and what they were doing. Maybe saw one of the, you know, some sort of um, news channel 
interview that interviews, he has. articles. I mean, he's right, very. Right. You know, he's got a lot of. I mean, he's great, great. And uh, you know, said, hey, you know, that that really makes sense, and that that got us into kind of our core group, um, Dr. Panicki, uh, Jeff Williams, myself, talking about is that a real thing that we could do here? And I know lots of great surgeons that um, I think would be would be very amenable to to doing something like this and um, learned a lot more, started learning a lot more very quickly about how, you know, all the middlemen that we talked about before and all the, mm-hmm. uh, the different reasons that why healthcare costs that cost that much. And it had become, it had become frustrating talking to patients when they say, uh, you know, they ask you, Oh, are, are you a network? How much is this going to cost? How much is my surgery going to cost? How does this work? And, and not knowing those answers was really frustrating. And so, learning those answers and how to, how to navigate all this. Uh, it's, it's been a long five years doing that. Dr. Panaki, did you have something to add there? I, I was just going to piggyback on one of the things that Dr. Inman said that um, when he talks about patients asking you if you're in network or out of network, that was a common question that we get. And, and I understand why you're at, why the, the patient would ask that. And I wouldn't always have the answer or know at least with hundred percent certainty, but the part that was even more concerning to me was I did know that, for any given anesthetic, for any specific surgery, that the cost wasn't the same for everyone. And so that's the other part of the problem, right? Like it, depending on your circumstances, your insurance, and the, the terms of whatever insurance that you had was, or if you were a cash payer, which was kind of the worst scenario, it would be a three, four, or five-fold difference in the cost of the anesthetic care. And then when we start looking in the cost of the surgical care and the facility fees, it was absolutely the same. So at some point you say to yourself, not only is there a price collusion in the market, but you actually have discrimination going on and that's not okay, right? Like while every patient is unique and different, the anesthetic duration on average for any given surgery and the types of drugs that we use and the techniques that we use and our skill set is the same, whether Dr. Inman needs a, a gallbladder removed or you need a gallbladder removed or an Amish patient needs a gallbladder removed or you know any other person. So it's just not fundamentally right and, and fair to patients. Yeah. And you're telling a lot of the secrets, you know, a lot of these secret negotiations that we couldn't possibly display our prices because then people would know our secrets, right? And mm-hmm. the more complex that the kind of quote unquote system can make it, the fewer questions we even know what to ask. Dr. Brecken, this might be a question more geared for you, but when you're out there recruiting new surgeons to come in, what's the pitch? Why are surgeons mm-hmm. signing up to work with you? I will say uh, with a caveat that Dr. Emin and I have both been doing that. And, and, uh, well, we'll let, we'll let Dr. Emin weigh in too. Cause yeah, <laughs> I'm curious yeah. to see that as a test to see if you're on the same page here in your recruitment strategy. <laughs> right. Right. It's, it's been kind of a perfect fit because while we do have a lot of overlap between the two of us, we worked at four health systems in the city and probably, you know, 15 to 20 outpatient surgery centers between the two of us. So, so you get a nice sampling across all specialties. And I can tell you from my own experience, across individual specialties, there are everyone's supremely talented and, and qualified in this country to deliver care. Um, there's always bad apples and few, few exceptions in any field you're in. in medicine is no exception. But I'll say that while everyone is qualified and talented, there's some people that are just fantastic. They make every case look easy. Patients love them. They treat patients well. They're polite. They're not hard to be around and work with. They're efficient. They don't waste things. They use only the things that they need. So they're good stewards of resources. They don't let ego get in the way of patient care. And so that's for me, you know, just practically speaking, that those are the kind of people that I want to talk to. I want the person who makes every case look easy and is a pleasure to be around and the patients absolutely love them. 
And so I, I just made a list across specialties of folks that we thought would be a great fit based upon those criteria. And Dr. Inman and I kind of put our heads together. Hey, what do you think about this person? And I don't think we've had a single one. And, and please feel free to correct me, Eric, if I'm wrong, but there's not been a single time that I've said, I think this person's great. And, and he said, no, they're terrible or vice versa, just because you know those are the kind of the things we look at when we're doing what we do day to day. Yeah. And I think when you, you know, you know, specifically go, going and talking to these surgeons, I, I really feel like it's not just Dr. Panicki and myself that are fed up with the system. Most physicians are fed up as, as you know, mm-hmm. Chris, um, the people you've talked to. And so, so you, you talk to, you know, a, a great ENT surgeon who you've worked with for 10 years and you say, Hey, you, you know, what do you think about doing something like this, where we offer a fair price and, and you, you know, in, in Indiana, for instance, fourth or fifth highest cost sur- surgical um, care in the United States, uh, in, in Indiana, depending on which number you believe, but fourth or fifth highest, pretty, pretty up there. Um, and then fourth lowest reimbursement for surgeons, um, pr- professional fee. So there's just a huge Delta there. That's just the, the, the market has skewed it to, to where it's absolutely not right. And so th- that's going to speak to surgeons as well saying, Hey, we can kind of bring it back to where it was maybe in the early 1980s when, you actually got paid um, reimbursement wise, professional fee wise, fairly for what you're doing. Um, sure. you know, you're, you're doing the procedure and you should be paid accordingly. And um, I think that speaks to them. I think it speaks to them to cut out the middlemen, like we talked about. And, uh, you know, the facility costs in Indiana in particular, um, but nationwide certainly um, are egregious. And uh, so, so coming in and actually offering a fair price. So, so we base our prices off of what is the overhead of the facility, salaries, wages of the employees, the supplies, anesthesia, surgeon, pathology, implants? You add those together, build in a small margin, which is that, that's where you, that's where you beat the the other systems. Is you, you build in a small margin, um, not an egregious margin, and you come up with a great product that that is speaks to patients because not only is it much more uh, cost effective using the same surgeons, it's transparent and they can they can see it. It's it's, it's important. People people uh, want to shop for a service or product, and they want to know how much they're going to have to pay for it. And that's how it should be. So am I hearing you right saying that you know, Wellbridge is able to offer a transparent 50 to 70% price reduction? And then when you go around to a surgeon, you're going to say, by and large, hey, come do the surgery for us. And you're actually going to earn more money than what you're going to be making at the hospital for the exact same surgery? Correct. Yep. And people look at you like, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. That can't possibly work, right? But in reality, like you just said, it is working. It's real. This yeah, isn't smoke it, and yeah. mirrors. This is better compensated medical, I was going to say, you know, kind of medical professionals, medical specialists, but surgeons are, I mean, there's not many people that can do that job. So, I mean, that's a hell of a recruitment pitch. I mean, yeah, well, <laughs> I, interestingly, the, the surgeons um, believe that more easily than the general population that doesn't know much about medicine. The surgeons uh, know how much the facilities are making in there, the, the, those, those crazy high margins there. So, so they're smart people. They can see how it works out that way. But you know, that, that's one of the hurdles kind of with the general public to say, yeah, we're offering this new option, trying to empower patients to take control of their uh, surgical care. And uh, it, it's a little bit more unbelievable to them, which probably makes sense to you. Oh yeah. Like you said, you know, this is too good to be true. And, and we hear that a lot. You, you mean they're from our side, the primary care side, it's like, well, you, what do you mean the doctor's available? The doctor's going to text me. Yeah. What's the catch? Well, there's, there's no catch. This is just, you know, they're going to treat you they're going to treat you like the person. I, I think that's a, a main thing about healthcare. And that's what I tell a lot of people. They're like, well, 
what's the fundamental problem of healthcare? I'm like, well, you're not treated like a person. You're a patient. You know, there's, there's horror stories up and down where people are just kind of forgotten or lost and abandoned in the healthcare system, uh, trying to navigate it themselves. And so, you know, on that theme of price transparency, every once in a while, we'll get somebody who's like, well, I'm just an individual here. I pay my insurance premiums. What am I supposed to do, you know, to help fix healthcare? And every single time I will tell that person, Next time you see a doctor or need to see a doctor, ask the price before you do anything. And I, I just love the fact that you guys are making that super easy. I mean, that's a phone call away. And I know soon it'll be, you know, just a website search away for you there at Wellbridge too. Talking today on uh, Healthcare Americana with Dr. Eric Inman and, and Dr. Ron Panecki with Wellbridge Surgical. We touched upon the start of it and kind of the story going through there. And I always love to ask this question because usually there's some really, really interesting stories coming out. And it's kind of sad, but you know, were there anybody who said, hey, docs, good luck. You, I give you guys six months. I give you guys 12 months and then you're going to be failing. You're going to be right back here. And I'm going to be sitting here saying, I told you that that wouldn't work. You want to take that, Ron? Uh, yeah, I'll try my best at it. And I don't want to bring up any it. bad blood or anything like no, that. But, uh, we both no, we've got stories for that. So I, yeah. I, yeah, we have stories for that for sure. Um, I was just thinking in the 10 seconds that I had to think about that, like I could probably fill up a whole piece of paper with just names of people on in the comments. What were they saying? A couple things happened, Chris. So you got to remember healthcare. I am very thankful. And I think Dr. Emin probably would echo what, what I'm getting ready to say, but we are very thankful and we're very blessed to have the opportunity to be able to serve people. It, it was a long and arduous path to get there, but it's extremely rewarding. Every single epidural I've ever placed for a woman that was in excruciating pain afterwards would attest to it. And it, it's just a neat experience for me personally, uh, having the, you know, the training and, and the abilities to be able to do that. So, but what you also have to remember too, is in healthcare, you know, we are somewhat insulated and protected right now. I mean, the system is actively breaking in front of our eyes with the cost overruns and, you know, the people that are lost without access to care and whatnot. But we are somewhat of a product of our environment as physicians. And what I mean by that is we are somewhat, you know, recession proof. We're insulated from, from a lot of the stresses and pressures that, that the rest of the world as a, you know, in the professional fields have to deal with. And so that, that comfort is somewhat reassuring, but it's not necessarily a good thing. And, um, you know, it's one of those situations now where I look back on it and I say, you know, I, I spent quite a few years being somewhat complicit in, in a broken system. And I didn't realize it at first. The more and more I became aware of it, I just realized that we just had to do something different. But, but yeah, there's, there's individual surgeons, other anesthesiologists, administrators that make comments like, I totally understand what they're doing and it's just not going to work. We've heard comments that um, repeated comments. I love this and I'm 100% rooting for you guys, but I don't want to be even in the same sentence with you, because they have situations and financial interests and they're paid by hospitals and, you know, hospital entities for things that they do. And, and let's face it, self-preservation is a very, very powerful thing. And so even if you don't necessarily believe in what you do every day, and there are certain circumstances where the pay is good enough that, you know what, I'm a couple of years from retirement, I'm a decade from retirement, I'm just going to kind of continue to milk this and you just accept it. And I guess I'm just not that way. A lot of naysayers. Yeah. Dr. Inman, it sounds like. Well, one of my favorites is that, uh, you know, talking to one of the you know, main surgeons at one of the surgery centers that, that we used to, to go, go to as far, as far as providing anesthesia, you know, 
found out about what we're what we're doing and uh, perceived it as a as a threat to the traditional system that makes you know facilities and owners of facilities a lot of money around here. And I said, you know, you guys are kind of like that uh, surgery center of Oklahoma, is that right? And I'm like, yeah, you, for the most part, we're doing stuff very very similar. Um, yeah, we looked into that a few years ago. I've known about that for a long time, and uh, we just we did some research, and it, it, that, that that won't really work here. So <laughs> it's just kind of funny somebody saying, no, the free market doesn't isn't it wouldn't work here in Indiana. Yeah, you know, people aren't people aren't interested in making informed decisions. Mm-hmm. And so I thought that was kind of funny. We've been told by uh, uh, regional COOs of hospital systems around here um, directly over the phone saying. I know the numbers backwards and forwards, and, and this doesn't work here. There's not enough people that would uh, c- come and use this sort of facility. And, and so, you know, other partners like uh, our old partners, some of them from our old anesthesia group, uh, also were naysayers in that sense. Even going further than being naysayers, you know, the hospital that, that our old anesthesia group had a contract with to, uh, to provide anesthesia services at, they went to the extreme of saying, if your group keeps those two anesthesiologists who are doing this, then that will, that will affect our agreement with you. And so basically threatening if they, they don't get rid of us somehow that that's going to affect the, uh, the relationship between the hospital and the anesthesia group. And so, um, nice. while, while we wanted to break away from the traditional system anyway, that's kind of scary that a hospital system would do that. Um, it's also a little bit contradictory in that, Hey, this is not going to work at all. This is a dumb idea. But wait, we really hate it so much that we don't want to even be associated with anybody who would employ physicians that that are doing this. So uh, that, that's kind of one of the one of the times where you know it scared me to be threatened to to be fired, but it also uh, emboldened me a bit, and I think it did Dr. Panicki as well in that hey, we must be onto something if the 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 president of a hospital around here that that we work at is threatening to get rid of us because we're doing this. Um, it's probably not because they think it's going to fail and be nothing. <laughs> Yeah, and that's yeah. a great takeaway. I'm sitting here kind of kind of like my jaws on the floor when I when I heard that. I mean, God, it just reeks of desperation that these two need to be cut off right now, scare them, or else you know they're never gonna come back here and work here again. And and you guys are like, peace out. And I can I can joke about it now, but it's, it was pretty scary, wasn't it, Ron? Yeah, yeah, it absolutely was. And I mean, you know, these are people that you don't you just see walking in the I call it the carpeted area of the hospital <laughs> because it's areas that patients aren't allowed in. Um, but, um, you know, those are the people that, you know, they don't, they don't wander the, the halls where patient care actually happens, but and you never really see them other than their, you know, mug shots on the, on the websites, you know, as leadership, but, um, the teeth come out pretty quickly. And like Dr. Emman said, it's like, either we're onto something really big here, that's really good. And they're, they're feeling threatened and bothered by it, or, you know, they're just absolutely being contradictory because it, it doesn't frankly make any sense where this yeah. is going. But with the interesting part to me was they're pretty slick about how they approach things. Um, you know, any physician that works in any hospital system has credentials. And what I mean by that is you actually apply for privileges to operate and or work and provide clinical service at a facility. And that includes background check, licenses, DEA, making sure you don't have any kind of major egregious, you know, suits against you as far as malpractice and things like that. And so Dr. Emin and I, obviously, we, we both have, you know, perfect uh, records and privilege uh, records at these hospital facilities, but the hospitals understand that it would have been very easy for them on the surface to just revoke those privileges if they truly felt this was a threat, but legally they can't because nothing wrong had been done, you know, to say, Hey, we just want to demonstrate a transparent model. We're upfront about patient costs and, and pricing and, and, and try to bring value to the market. 
Um, yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing that's been violated. So like Dr. Emmett said, you know, you just resort to kind of the underhanded, you know, bully tactic of, you know, I can't do anything to these individuals. So I can therefore threaten, you know, a much larger group of a hundred physicians to try to leverage. And those are great points, but I'm thinking, was that not a wake up call to a lot of the physicians in the same group thinking, wow, what the hell was that? What, what do you mean you're going to threaten to fire these two for going out and starting an independent practice? Like, was there anybody who saw that as a wake up call or did everybody just kind of cower in fear in the corner and say, Oh, we better not speak up. We, we, we might get swatted down. Well, there were certainly, there were certainly ones that, uh, that, that felt that way and still feel that way as far as, Hey, it's a, it's a wake up call. It's just, it's just that physicians, I think by, by training and just kind of how you get sorted into to going to med school, a pretty, pretty um, risk averse population. And mm-hmm. so to rock the boat, it, it's just not the norm. So yes, there are some that, you know, talk to, I'm sure Ron has the same stories of, of our old partners talking to us and saying, Hey, that's, that was terrible. That's crazy. That, you know, terrible that they did that. Um, but, but to, to kind of put your neck out there and, and do something to actually, actually make a change. It's, it's, it's tough. And, uh, mm-hmm. um, but, but there are also the ones enough of them, obviously that, you know, kind of cowered to the, to the hospital's demands and, um, and are uh, just kind of go to the status quo and did that. We talk a lot about um, we're kind of the bookends, right? And and I always enjoy talking to you, gentlemen, and, and uh, everybody there at Wellbridge Surgical. And so we're all kind of the bookends. We started in Indianapolis a few years ago. I always look at, at, at healthcare being kind of a pyramid, or even if somebody wants to put that on a linear scale, where primary care is your base of the pyramid. It's where you get most, where you should have the most time and resources underneath this direct care model and, and cash pay model, not so much in a hospital model, but it's a different story. Building those bookends, like I said. So at the entrance, you've got primary care, you've got you know DPC, direct primary care, direct care, direct patient care, even some concierge physicians, kind of cousins of this and, and kind of lead in there. And then at the far end of the spectrum, surgery in my mind is kind of the, not necessarily the last ditch resort, but that's kind of when something major has happened. And so if primary care is at A, surgery is going to be at Z there. So that's where we get, you know, hashtag bookends, right? What advice do you have for physicians and listeners who are looking at this and saying, wow, there's a lot of space and between what Chris just said, that really doesn't exist. How do we continue to fill in the pages? And, and I guess that's, that's really what it is. You know, what is, what is both of your advice to physicians from primary care, running the spectrum to non-primary specialists, subspecialists, surgeons, everybody out there who's saying, man, I wonder... I wonder if this is going to work for me. I wonder if this will work for my group. Dr. Panecki, I'll go to you first. Yeah, I would say if they're on the primary care side of things, they probably need to talk to folks like your team, Chris, honestly, because I think a lot of it is education, right? And it's the same with us as well. If you're talking about surgeons, I would just invite a conversation just about what the model is and what we're doing. And I'll give you an example of that. You know, within the surgery subspecialties, at least around this city, you you know, you kind of have two groups. You have private practice groups, and that could be one, one surgeon, or that could be a group of hundred surgeons within a specialty. And then you have employed surgeons. Um, the hospital would of course, like everyone employed because you can then control everyone. And that's the delivery of care, right? Just like they'd like to control all the primary care docs um, by employing all of those. But within the groups of private practice physicians, they have in most cases, no reason not to want to participate with Wellbridge and most do. On the employed side, a large portion of those folks want to actually operate at Wellbridge. I've had conversations with maybe four physicians in the last three or four weeks 
that that actually were interested and the hospitals have a non-compete in their contract. You know, what's interesting about that is the hospital doesn't have any protected or proprietary information. The hospital is a very expensive box. You got to build a box that you can do surgery in and it's managed by business people and some healthcare professionals. There is no protected secrets, trade secrets there. The physician, the surgeon learns those secrets when they go through the decades of training and they bring those to the box. And so I think what we're going to see is as people start to challenge that and the employed surgeons, those aren't enforceable um, laws. And and you see it in certain states already that those are being challenged. I think Indiana's going to follow suit. You're basically trying to handcuff uh, a group of talented and skilled individuals from practicing their their art. And um, so that's one of the things that I just, I kind of want to bring to light here is that even though physicians are somewhat risk averse, I think they have a, a very loud voice if they were to unite under that premise. Well, they have all the power. That's where mm-hmm. anywhere from a quarter to a fifth of the economy, depending where it is, you know, that, that's where the right. actual value is delivered you know, in the healthcare sector. Right. One patient, one doctor, or a physician's care team, you know, in a surgery sense. Dr. Inman, your thoughts, your advice. Yeah. I would hope that, um, you know, as you get a lot of direct primary care uh, physicians coming out and doing this. Dr. Smith in Oklahoma City, you know, us here in Indianapolis, as you get some of these people breaking out and, and trying to, to make a difference and, and create a free market, you get other, other folks that maybe get more emboldened to kind of figure out where they fit in, in the puzzle. So I guess that's my hope is to kind of hopefully in, inspire some other people to do some, something like this and, and uh, to say, I have all the answers and know how to fill in all the pages. I, I, I don't, but I, I know that it has to do with getting that education out to the patients and the population to know that, hey, I have an option. I am now informed to, and empowered to make a good decision about my health care, whether it be um, direct primary care, cash pay, transparent upfront surgery, whether it's another specialty in the middle, just to get people thinking that way. Because once you get people thinking that way, that creates more opportunity for those entrepreneurial uh, physicians to be able to fill that demand and to, to meet that demand. There's only so far you can get by complaining about it. You actually have to take action, right? And those are yeah. the people that uh, we need you, you know, we, we absolutely need you. So, so thank God for, for uh, both of you and, and uh, love the fact that, hey, we're both in Indianapolis because I, what we're showing is that this vision of a completely alternative healthcare system where we do have choice, we do have educated consumers, you know, to both of your points there. Let the consumer make the choice, right? Don't try to strong arm people from a physician standpoint and a patient standpoint into just becoming robots. We always say, and I firmly believe this, and, and my dad actually told me this one, you know, the practice of medicine is the intersection of art and science. And I feel like a lot of times we are so eager to jettison the art and the experience and discount that and try to codify everything and say, well, this person came in, it's these symptoms, follow this checklist. And by the end of it, you'll figure out what's wrong with them. And that's just not the case, right? Everyone's just a little bit different there. So we need people to take action, sitting there complaining and, and just kind of going in and, and you know, to your points, cashing that paycheck and sitting back and saying, oh, I'm just going to gut it out for a couple of years. You're not helping anybody. You're not helping yourself. You're not helping patients. You're not helping your colleagues in any way. So gentlemen, I, I want to thank you for coming on here and showing that you know we are building this alternate healthcare system. It's real. It's happening. You can have a direct primary care physician and you can go all the way through to cash surgery, never have to bother with any type of confusing or expensive insurance or hospital systems. It feels good to say that. 
It really, really does. So thank yeah. you, Dr. Panecki, Dr. Emmett. Thank you for joining us here on Healthcare Americana. Love following the success of Wellbridge Surgical. Thank you so much, Chris, for having us. I appreciate it. Yeah, much appreciated. Glad to chat with you. That's going to do it for this episode of Healthcare Americana. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. Check us out online at healthcareamericana.com. Catch previous episodes, subscribe to our mailing list, and check out our fantastic online store. Be able to get your gear there. Once again, I am your host, Christopher Habig. Thanks for listening. Check out healthcareamericana.com to hear all our episodes, visit the shop, and learn more about the podcast. Healthcare Americana is produced by Taylor Scott and iPodcast Pro and managed by Melissa Turpin. Healthcare Americana is brought to you by Freedom HealthWorks and Freedom Doc. If you've been struggling to get the care you need and the access you want, it's time to join your local Freedom Doc. Visit freedomdoc.care to find the practice location nearest you. Whether you're a patient, employer, or physician, the Free Market Medical Association can facilitate and assist you in your free market healthcare journey. The foundation of our association is built upon three pillars, price, value, and equality, with complete transparency in everything we do. Our goal is simple, match willing buyers with willing sellers of valuable healthcare services. Join us and help accelerate the growth of the free market healthcare revolution. For more information on the Free Market Medical Association, visit fmma.org. Hi again, everyone. This is Chris. At Healthcare Americana, we're always on the lookout for great stories to tell in the healthcare industry. And we'd like to hear yours. Check out healthcareamericana.com and send us your ideas for episodes or if you'd like to be a guest. Thanks again for listening. Hope you enjoy it.